0: Psalm 95, a song of praise. O come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. In in the heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it. And his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test, and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For 40 years, I loathed that generation and said, they are a people who go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest.
1: Have you ever watched a documentary that, like, changed your life? Okay, so I have a friend who watched the documentary Food, Inc., and stopped eating meat. Something about the way meats farmed, produced, delivered to the consumer made her say, no thanks, I'm done. Uh, Another friend of mine watched The the Social Dilemma and quit social media. I should be clear, I've not watched either of those documentaries because I like steak. (laughs) And I like seeing my friend's pictures on Facebook. I haven't watched these documentaries because if I'm honest, I would just rather not know than have to change my habits. Sometimes we come face-to-face with truth about the world as it is, we're left with no option but to change the way we live this is what happens not only when we watch these documentaries but this is actually what happens to us in worship worship is one of the most important things we do as a church and worship is what we're going to talk about today for these past few weeks we've been revisiting our mission as the church We talked first uh, about mission. What is our mission? We said our mission is to join God in cultivating shalom by helping everyone know God and by helping all creation flourish. We said that's what God's about, shalom. And that's the mission we are invited to join in. Last Sunday, we talked about the focus of our mission, that as we seek to cultivate shalom, our focus in what we're doing is on the one That is lost. We build what we do as a community so that the one can come in and join us. And today we turn to three primary activities that we do as a church that help us accomplish our mission in the places where God has put us. Here at Harbor, we have identified three primary activities that we believe are integral to the life of the church. These three activities are not something we came up with here at Harbor. They've been a part of the church since the beginning. These three activities are worship, community, and service. And here at Harbor, we say that these three most important things we do are to live fully in worship, to love deeply in community, and to give freely in service. When we look at the historical church, these three things have always been a part of the life of the church. These three activities are like pistons in an engine. They convert fuel into forward motion. When our church is fully engaged in worship in community and service, we will be running smoothly. We will experience forward momentum in our partnership with God and in his mission of shalom. So for the next three weeks, that's what we're going to talk about, these three activities of the church, worship, community, and service. And as I said, today we're going to talk about this first activity, worship. Worship is the most important thing we do in order to stay faithful and focused on the mission that God has given us. Worship is meant to be just like those documentaries that made my friends quit social media and stop eating meat. Worship is meant to cause us to see something that changes us. Worship is the single most important thing we can do as a community in order to stay clear on our mission, to stay on target. Worship. Worship. Psalm 95, the psalm that Nathan read just a moment ago, is a psalm about worship. It invites us to worship not only with the posture of our hearts, but with the posture of our bodies. Psalm 95 tells us that we worship with our bodies by making noise, by shouting, by singing, by saying out loud who God is and what God's done. Psalm 95 tells us that we worship by voluntarily taking a posture that moves our bodies low and bowing, and kneeling, and lying prostrate. The movement and activity of our bodies in worship is supposed to match the posture of our hearts. That's why we use our bodies in worship. But just like anything we do over and over again, worship can become routine. It can become rote. We can forget what a remarkable activity we are invited to be a part of. So today, I want to remind us what an amazing activity worship is. I want us to see today three things that Psalm 95 says will happen when we worship. Worship first reminds us who God is. Worship begins by us coming face to face with God and recalling the infinite majesty of who he is. In verses 1 through 6 of Psalm 95, we're invited to worship because of God is. These first six verses, two times we're invited to worship, and two times we're given reasons why we should worship him. Verses 1, 2, and 6 invite us to come into God's presence. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us come into his presence. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. It's an invitation. There's an assumed standing invitation from God. God is always welcoming us, so we're able to choose to enter into his presence whenever we want in order to worship him. We're invited, the psalm says, to come to his presence with thanksgiving. That's the same word as confession in Hebrew, to confess who God is, to confess what he's done, to recount out loud together the mighty works of God. We're reminded in this psalm that God is a rock, solid foundation for his people who provides safety, security, stability. And as the psalmist invites us in, he gives two reasons why we should worship. The first several verses of Psalm 95 remind us that we are invited to worship because God is the sovereign over all creation. Verse 3 says that God is a great God and a great king These are actually both phrases that are borrowed from the people around Israel. The word used for great God here is a Canaanite word, El, which they used to describe the top God in their pantheon. They didn't associate Yahweh, God of Israel, with El, the top God, but the people of Israel knew that their God, their Lord, was the great God. It's the same thing with that phrase, great king, that was the way the Assyrians referred to their king. This psalm instead invites the people of Israel to make the assertion that the great king is none other than God. Even though they were small in number, even though on paper the other kingdoms looked much stronger than they were, this psalmist invites the Israelites to remember that their God is truly the great God and the great king. To proclaim that no matter how great their enemies, our God is greater. For though the king of Assyria might claim to own the whole world, he could only claim that in hyperbole. And that's true of every great empire in history. The Egyptians, the Greeks, the Romans, the Ottomans, the French, the British. The greatest kingdoms on earth are no match for the God who made the earth. God made the whole earth. There is still so much that right now, today, in the year 2022, we still don't know. We don't know, still, right now, we've only explored about 5% of our oceans. 5% of our oceans, today, in 2022, we've only explored and charted 5% of our oceans. People go missing on high mountains, mountain climbing, never to be seen again. But this psalm tells us that God knows everything about every part of his creation, He holds the deepest part of the sea and the highest mountain. He knows what's there. He formed the land and the sea with his hands. So what man is a match for this God? This psalm invited the people of Israel to face the reality of who God is, that he is the sovereign creator of all and that there is no king like our God and this challenge for Israel is still a challenge for us. How often are we tempted to look for a human to hold our hopes and dreams, our fears, our anger? How often are we tempted to think that if the right person just got into office, we would all be okay? This psalm invites us to remember that there is no king like God. No one on earth comes close to him. Not Barack Obama, not Donald Trump, not Joe Biden, not whoever is the next president of our country. There is no one that compares to God. They're not God. And we as the church need to be clear. We need to be clear that our sense of security does not rest with whoever's name is on the desk in the Oval Office. They're not God. Only God is God. God is where our security lies. There is no, no king but God. This psalm reminds us that God is the sovereign, all-powerful creator, and we don't need another king but him. Psalm 95 tells us another reason why we should worship God, why we can worship. We're told that he is not just God, but he is our God. This great, almighty God is our God. See, when we enter into worship, we're reminded that God is not only the all-powerful ruling creator. He is a personal God, a with us God, a God who came close to his people. Worship encourages us to remember that God has chosen us as his people, and he will keep his promises to us. He is the God that has been faithful for all of Israel's history who protected them from the Egyptians, who fed them in the wilderness with manna and quail, who had them cross the Red Sea, who miraculously delivered them from their enemies. In worship, we remember that God is our God. When we worship, we remember all the ways that God has been faithful to us. We remember how he's protected and provided and comforted. Worship gives us an opportunity to focus on the ways that God has been with us before and to praise him for that, to remember how secure we are in his care. So first, when we worship, worship reminds us who God is. Second thing that worship does is it reminds us who we are. Verse seven says, for he is our God. We are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. The psalm reminds us that we're not free agents. We are God's people. This is what Paul is getting at in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 and 20. He said, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought at a price. So glorify God with your body. When we worship, we remember that we don't belong to ourselves. We were bought with a price. We were bought with the blood of Jesus. God made a covenant with the people of Israel. His side of the covenant was that he would be their God. He would protect them. He would care for them. He would be with them. He would invite them to play a role blessing all nations. But they had a part too. Their part was to be his people to live according to the way he laid out for them so that they could be a people of shalom, so that they could be a people through whom he could bless all creation. The psalm calls the people of Israel to remember that worship is not only about who God is, but about who we are. In worship, we're reminded that we belong to God, that we submit to him because he's God and we are not that we are weak, that we fail, that we are limited, and that that's why we need God. This reminder that God is God and I am not is both a challenge to my pride, a challenge to the Messiah complex that rears up in me when I think I have to fix everything. It's a challenge to that pride, right? But it's also a great comfort that I don't have to take care of everything, that God is working. So there's a challenge and a comfort. That's why verse 6 invites us to kneel, to bow down before God. It's a way of showing honor and deference. We're invited to demonstrate with our bodies what we know is true in our hearts. Physically lowering ourselves in worship helps us practice lowering ourselves in our hearts. Helps us practice acknowledging our humble position before God. This invitation to kneel and bow is an invitation to demonstrate with our bodies the willing submission of our hearts to God. I've really appreciated the practice of kneeling and worship. Friends, there is no question who is God and who's not when I'm on my knees (laughs) worshiping. I hope that you'll accept this challenge from Psalm 95 and practice kneeling from time to time. If you can't kneel, maybe just sitting low, bowing your head, Practice that to help us remember that we are God's people. We belong to him. We are God's ambassadors, God's servants, God's created beings. We belong to God. So in worship, just as we remember who God is, we remember who we are. And when we remember who God is and who we are, when we remember the truth of those things, we are forced to make a decision. Worship provokes a response about how then we will live. The truth of who God is, the truth of who we are, is like that documentary that leaves us unable to go on with life as it was before. Because in worship, we come face-to-face with who God is, we come face-to-face with who we are as his people, and this forces a decision. And the question Psalm 95 asks is, will we choose God's way or our way? Now that we've acknowledged that God alone is God and that we are his people, how will we live? That's what the psalmist is getting at here in verses 7 through 11. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. These verses come as a bit of a surprise because most of Psalm 95 reads like a typical psalm of praise. And a psalm of praise doesn't usually contain a challenge like these last few verses Usually, a psalm of praise just praises God for who he is and leaves it at that. But this psalm doesn't do that. This psalm is unique. This psalmist wants to make sure that people don't just say a whole bunch of stuff about who God is and who they are. This psalmist wants to make sure that people understand the implications of saying that God is God and that we are his people. This psalmist knows that worship changes us. Authentic worship makes us want to follow God, to obey him, to sense where his spirit is leading and go there. True worship doesn't leave us where we were before. The psalmist says that if our worship is authentic, if our praise is real, then we will listen when God speaks and do what he says. And the psalmist calls the people to make a choice. Today, he says, if you hear God's voice today, do what he says. And he reminds the people of when in the past they didn't obey God's voice. Do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day of Massah in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. Those verses are referring back to Exodus 17. When the people of Israel had not yet entered the promised land and they were thirsty. They complained to Moses, and they doubted God. They asked, is God with us or not? This is despite the miraculous delivery from Egypt, despite the miraculous crossing of the Red Sea, they started asking if God even cared about them. Two chapters earlier, in Exodus 15, they'd been singing God's praises. But apparently it didn't sink that deep into their hearts, because the very next time they were in need, They complained about God and talked about stoning the guy that God had chosen to lead them. And this happened over and over again in Israel's journey. For 40 years, these same people put God to the test over and over again. Over and over, they did what God said not to do. Over and over, they complained. Over and over, they focused on what they wanted instead of what God said. That's what verse 10 here is talking about. He says, they are a people who go astray in their heart and have not known my ways. See, although the people would say that they believed who God was when they worshipped, their actions betrayed the real state of their hearts. And verse 11 says, the consequence of choosing our way over God's way is that we won't enter into rest. 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 Again, just like we've been saying, God is looking for rest, for peace, for shalom. God wanted a place to rest in the midst of his people, just like in the Garden of Eden. In Psalm 132, God is speaking about the temple in Jerusalem, and he says, This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. Psalm 95 tells us that if we allow worship to change us, we will enter into rest. If we allow the experience of seeing who God is and seeing who we are to make us different, if we allow the experience of worship to propel us forward in what God wants, then where we will eventually end up is shalom. In the book of Hebrews, uh, Hebrews chapters 3 and 4 are kind of a commentary, actually, on this psalm, Psalm 95. The author of Hebrews uses Psalm 95 to invite the Jewish Christians in the first century to accept the same invitation that Psalm 95 gave, to hear what God says and do it. The early Christians in the first century were being pressured and persecuted, and some of them were close to giving up. But the author of Hebrews challenged them that if they would stay strong, if they will hold on, if they would remain confident in the work of Jesus and in his promises, then they would enter into rest. Hebrews 4 connects the idea of rest back to the seventh day of creation, saying that this is something God ordained in creation. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. The writers of Hebrews and of Psalm 95 both say the same thing. If we praise God with our mouths and obey him with our lives, we will enter into rest. We will experience shalom. The shalom of the Garden of Eden, the shalom that God wanted for the people of Israel in the Promised Land, the shalom Jesus talked about when he preached on the kingdom of God, and the final forever shalom John got a glimpse of in the book of Revelation. Worship challenges us to see ourselves like the people of Israel in the wilderness, faced with a choice. Will we praise God only with our lips, or will we live out our praise in an obedient life? This is the choice we have when we gather in worship. Every single time we worship, we are invited to come face-to-face with the reality of who God is. Every single time we worship, we are invited to remember who we are as God's people, and every single time we worship, we're invited to allow our worship to transform our very lives, to help us realign with God and his mission. That is why worship is so vitally important to the life of this community. We gather to remember who God is. We gather to remember who we are, and we gather to reaffirm our choice to be about the mission and ways of God. Do you think about what we do here on Sundays that way? Do you see how vitally important this time is? Do you connect what you know is true of God that we sing about here with how you live your life outside of this place? Today, we're going to spend some time celebrating who God is. We're going to praise him for his might, his love, his grace, his creation. Celebrate who God is. We're going to remember who we are as God's children. Remember that we belong to him. And the band is going to come back up. And as we worship together, I want to invite you to again surrender your life to the way and mission of God. To reaffirm that on your own and as a member of this community that we exist for his purposes. I'm going to pray, and then the band is going to lead us in an extended time of worship. However you worship, with words and body now, consider how this act of worship is helping you develop a posture of submission to God and him and his mission outside the walls of our Sunday gatherings. Ask God to help you remain in a posture of willing obedience to him this week. So let me pray, um, and then Paul and the band are going to lead us. God, thank you for the gift you've given us of this weekly rhythm of worship together as a community. Um, It is so easy to be distracted by the the day-to-day urgency of life. We need desperately this time to come together and remember who you are and remember who we are and remember what our lives are supposed to be about because it is so easy to be distracted. So God, this morning, will you help us to, together as a community, remember who we are, remember who you are, and then choose you this week. Amen.